Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of The Suspense is Killing Me. I am fortunate to have the one and only Angela Sylvain with me. Hello, Angela. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Thanks for having me. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> it is not every day you get to talk to a cheerful goth. So. That's right. That's true. The two don't always go hand in hand. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're going to have to start with that in, uh, in just a moment. I'm going to have to have you explain where you got the tag cheerful goth from. Okay. Um, but before we do that, I did want people to understand that you made your time available to do this episode literally like on the heels of the launch of frostbite, which is a very busy time for you. So thank you so much for being willing to be here. I know that getting time on your calendar right now is not easy and I really appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. The timing's great. As you know, when you're putting out a book, you want a lot of people to hear about it. So it's perfect. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be able to expose some, some new listeners and new readers to, to frostbite and all the other great books that you've uh, got coming down the pipe, because I know this was like your really big, like first debut, but we know that you are not done yet, Miss Angela. That's true. (laughs) All right. So talk to me about this cheerful goth thing. Where did the tag (laughs) cheerful goth come from? Well, okay, so you may remember, they're getting more popular again, but you may remember when everyone had a blog, right? Blogs were like where where it's at. Nobody had websites or anything like that. And so way back when I had thought about starting a blog and I wasn't sure what to call it. Um, so after I gave it some thought, what the, the name I came up with was The Cheerful Goth. That was going to be the name of my blog. And really it was just because it kind of encompasses who I am. I love dark and spooky things. I mostly wear black. I love horror and dark music and all of those things, but I'm extremely chipper. (laughs) So like I just, it's part of my personality that I can't quiet and doesn't, like I said, always go hand in hand with the dark and spooky things. So that's where it came from. It was just kind of a natural description of who I am. And now I sort of embrace it like a brand. So now I've kind of, I've got a logo and that's what my newsletter is called. So I've repurposed it from a, what was going to be a blog to more of a brand of what I'm all about. Well, I think you're knocking it out of the park because it's very distinct. It's memorable. It, it's real. It's true. Yeah. You know, when people meet you, they're like, yeah, I get it. It's, mm-hmm. it's very fitting. Um, and I do love your, I do love your logo. Uh, it, and if, for those that are interested in seeing it, go to Angela's go to Angela's website is what I'm trying to say, angelasylvain.com. And you can see the cheerful goth logo for yourself. Um, and I see it prominently displayed on your books, uh, page on your website. Um, and, and right alongside the beautiful cover for frostbite, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. Um, what a fun story. Uh, and I can't wait to hear, hear more about what inspired this uh, this book of yours because it is uh, super cool. And we were talking a little bit about the Midwest before we came on and you can you can educate me and everyone else about where the heck you got this awesome idea from. All right. So if I could like rewind a bit and go back in time and meet like young Angela, what is young Angela doing? <laughs> what are you reading? Where are you? Like where in the world are you? So I grew up in North Dakota, Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, so kind of a smaller town, a little bit more of a rural setting. Um, I was definitely an indoor kid. (laughs) 
So reading from a very young age, not avoiding going outside as much as I possibly could, particularly in those bitter North Dakota cold winters. Hmm. Um, And I actually grew up in a trailer park in North Dakota. So that is similar to the setting of the main character from Frostbite. So that really comes from my childhood and formative years. I was growing up in that trailer park, um, you know, pretty poor, using my, you know, my quarters I got for babysitting to buy books at the thrift store was essentially where it all started for me. Um, And I think I, at some point in my kind of childhood and early teens, shifted from reading sort of what I was supposed to read based on who I was, you know, um, to reading things I wasn't supposed to read. So it was like shifting from the Babysitter's Club and Nancy Drew to Stephen King. Um, because those were the books I bought at the thrift store, um, and still have some of those old copies. So that's kind of where it all began. And the other piece I think that was formative for me in developing sort of my love of dark things was one of the kind of, um, things we did spend money on in my family was television. (laughs) So we budgeted to have HBO. That was one thing we always had at my house was HBO. So I was also watching a lot of movies that I probably, you know, wasn't old enough to watch. Sure. uh, Late nights as well. So just corrupted from a young age, which was great. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of my favorite themes on the show is young, young age corruption. uh, All of our, all our writer guests. Um, (laughs) So much like you, my, 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 we didn't have a lot of money growing up, but my mom insisted on having HBO. Like, we might be check to check. She was not giving up HBO. That yep. was like the luxury she was going to have in life. Um, and the Crypt Keeper, like, <gasps> dude. The Crypt Keeper. I yes. have such like positive. Is it weird that even just thinking of the Crypt Keeper like puts a smile on my face, even though he's like a corpse, essentially? So great. <laughs> yes. And, I, and I'm fairly certain that that's where I was watching the Crypt Keeper was through HBO's uh, running, running, and this was in the in the late eighties. This was in the late eighties. Yeah, I remember being a little kid watching that, um, and just being in love with it. And then Pet Cemetery, the movie, uh, was on, and my mom was like, "Dude, you got to see this!" And I was just <laughs> in love. So, like, all the things. So, yeah, I, I appreciate your, I appreciate your perspective on on exposure at that age. Now, was there, was music a part of that for you? Like, were you, what kind of music were you listening to at that age? Because I, th- I think like sometimes these things go hand in hand and sometimes they're part of that culture clash in our, in our youth. Yes, for sure. Yeah. I think there is a little bit of a culture clash there for me because I definitely still to this day, listen to a lot of eighties and nineties pop music. Um, I also like darker things like grunge and industrial But truly at that age, I was listening to what was on the radio, you know, on my pink, little tiny pink boombox tape player. Right. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, for me, it was probably, frankly, a lot of like Tiffany and Debbie Gibson and, you know, some Pat Benatar, that kind of stuff. Hell yeah. Um, Which I still love. Honestly, I love all that music. It's so nostalgic, even though, you know, it's poppy. Um, it just sure. makes me feel good. So, you know, embrace it, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. yeah, my, my, my daughter and I were just talking about this yesterday. Um, because we, we had the eighties 
uh, I think it's called 80s Reload or whatever it is on Sirius XM. We had it on and she was like, man, the music from song to song is so different. Like, and I said, yeah, man. I said, but you know, it's hard for the kids, I think, now to understand how dominant that culture, that pop culture was for us in the 80s and 90s. Yes. Because we were just surrounded by all that music through MTV and and all the radio stations. I mean, it was just like they were all putting out the same waves. That's right. And you didn't really have a lot of options, right? right. Like MTV, you just you watched whatever was on MTV. Yep. <laughs> and you loved yep. it. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think one of the life altering things for me was when Headbangers Ball became a thing I was exposed to. I was like, wait, I can watch this at night. And then it was like Anthrax and Metallica and Testament. I was like, oh, what is this? Like my mind just was like amazing. I know for me, it was probably more I go a little more alternative than like metal. For me, it was probably Alternative Nation was when I was like, "Okay, there's a whole nother musical world out here that I wasn't aware of. And I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, yeah, man. Dude, I was just telling my I was just telling my uh my my oldest son about when I bought the Nirvana Nevermind CD. Um, I was at this tiny little like hole in the wall record store that we had here in Newport News. It was called Fantasy. It was kind of like a head shop slash music shop slash whatever. And um I remember I had to go there to get it because they didn't carry it in the big stores yet. It was like brand spanking new. And I thought it was so different sounding. I've got to pick this up and I got to give it a try because I was into heavy stuff, but that wasn't really like, it wasn't metal. It was just something different. And so I picked up, um, nevermind. And I also, um, went, went back there and ended up picking up everything that was like one right after the other grunge, like, Soundgarden and all of it, like, you know, uh, um, I mean, you name it, Screaming Trees, like all of it. And love it. the one thing I wouldn't buy was the, was the Pearl Jam 10 album <laughs> because <laughs> at the time more- I thought it was too commercial. Yeah. <laughs> that was it's, your commercial alternative. Yeah. yeah. Such a great <laughs> album. So I don't, you know, I don't know what my problem was. I was I, you know, a teenager. That was my problem. But we just have principles at that age. You yeah, know, you it. gotta. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was a moron, but it was uh, it it was it was part of that experience of buying. Like I didn't buy it in like a main box store. It was like, yeah, you're not going to get this anywhere else, man. And then of course they blew up. <laughs> so, you can like, get it but anyway. I I I knew them first, you know. Yeah, I, I I almost had to be talked into buying the CD by my buddy, which makes me feel even worse now because it's such an iconic album but like he was like oh just give it a try man and meanwhile we were surrounded with all this hair band and hair metal crap and i was so mm-hmm. angry about that that i thought anything would be better <laughs> so i do kind of like hair bands too though i have to yeah. admit guilty pleasure yeah hair bands are still pretty good too <laughs> i have a, a much more of an appreciation for it now than i did then i think <laughs> um so so you you end up growing up in this environment where elements of what you built into frostbite are, are clearly there. Right. Um, and you end up growing up in North Dakota and you, you leave, right? I mean, at what yeah. point did you leave? Did you leave when you were a teenager or when you were older as an adult? After college. So, okay. uh, yep. I still went to college there at the university of North Dakota. Um, but basically sort of knew I would be leaving. So, 
I stayed for, you know, in-state cheap tuition and a scholarship (laughs) and knew as soon as I graduated that I would be gone. Um, Partially because, you know, there weren't a lot of opportunities in the town that I was in, but also I, you know, was never really a fan of the cold (laughs) weather. And so the goal in my mind was always to leave North Dakota. Um, And don't get me wrong, the people there are lovely. You know, the culture is really nice, Mm -hmm. but I just couldn't hack it. I don't think I'm like at my core, someone who could survive long term in that environment. (laughs) Gotcha. Well, you didn't exactly go very far south. Like, did you go straight to Colorado from there? I did. Yeah. So I went straight from there to where I live now, which is northern Colorado. Um, And a lot of people think it's pretty cold here, but it's actually not. But the winters are super mild especially compared to what I grew up with. So yeah, I, I love to say context matters. <laughs> context matters. Probably people from Arizona and California are like, what is this monstrosity? I hate winter here. But um, no, I love it because we still get seasons. We still get snow, which I like. I just don't like that really bitter cold and snow that sticks around for six months, you know, mm. so it's perfect. So what did you go to college for? What did you study? I studied uh, psychology and Eastern religions and philosophy. And do you feel like that's helped you as a writer? Like, do you find that influencing your writing at all? Yeah, I think so. Um, I I don't use really much of that in my day job, except to say that psychology is pretty much applicable to everything. Right. Anytime you're working with people. Sure. But I think that I always was interested in kind of what makes people tick and why people do the things they do which absolutely helps with writing and developing character motivation and kind of understanding all of that. Um, And then on the religion and philosophy front, I was particularly interested in like Eastern religions as well as um, cults and alternative religions. And that's something that carries through for me today. I'm pretty much obsessed with cults or like um, when people kind of go too far with religion and really become fanatical, yeah. which ends up making it into a lot of the things I write. <laughs> I write about cults and religious fanaticism quite a bit. It always finds a way to like sneak in because I find it really fascinating that, you know, really good, reasonable people can do some pretty um, crazy things in the name of their beliefs. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that, I find that really cool how, um, how you're able to, to pull that into, into your writing. Um, and were you writing fiction at that point or were you, you were, no. you were holding off, huh? Um, I always was like a really big reader from when I was a kid, like I said, but, um, to be honest, it like never crossed my mind. I could write <laughs> like no one in school was encouraging me to write creatively. Hmm. I was only wrote academically right for papers in college and I was always pretty good at that but it wasn't until I was in my 30s that um, I actually had a co-worker who was a writer and worked part-time so that she could have health insurance there you go and we just would talk books all the time and talk about her writing and she was the first person to ever say to me like have you thought about writing <laughs> and it was a moment of you know, life-changing moment Sure. where I just said, you know, I've never actually considered I could do that. And it ended up being something I just stuck with and have loved. So I came to writing pretty late compared to most people, which 
I'm sometimes regret. I wish I had started earlier, but you know, what can you do? Yeah. What do you do? Right. <laughs> um, I think it came to you at the right time. Right. So, I mean, you probably had, uh, you probably avoided some pain uh, because you're a little <laughs> bit more mature when you started writing than <laughs> some people. Like I, I was, uh, I was, I, I think it was, um, it was Red Lego, and I was talking with Red. Uh, for those that haven't heard the episode with Red, go check that one out. But when Red and I were talking, we were talking about finding old uh, writings of ours from when we were younger. And I'm like, oh my god, this is so bad, you know. But like, I just had to get it out, man. I had to get rid of my my teenage <laughs> angst. And um, but now I look back and I'm like, oh god, like. Oh. Well, and I just don't know that my ego could have taken it either, right? Uh, like. Those ages, like I didn't have the confidence that I do today to be able to deal with rejection and feedback and all those things. I probably wouldn't have been as um, good at that. So, <laughs> yeah, that that's that that would definitely um, takes takes a bit of skin. Um, so, so you you come to writing. You're interested in getting started in this. Did you start writing a certain type of fiction first? I mean, were you writing in this genre, or did you start somewhere else? I started somewhere else. Um, I first started writing more kind of young adult paranormal books mm -hmm. because frankly, they were super popular at the time mm -hmm. and it was kind of what I was reading. I've always liked young adults. I've never grown out of reading young adult books. I really like them. Um, but that's kind of what everyone was reading. And so that's what I tried at first. And I wrote a couple of trunk books um, and sort of started to realize that horror was what I was good at <laughs> and what I liked. So I shifted to just writing short stories for a couple of years to really perfect the craft and um, figure out what I was doing and kind of nail down the kind of things I like to write and experiment mm -hmm. a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So that was an important time for me, just writing a ton of short stories and now have come back around to, okay, I think I know who I am as a writer and what my style is. Um, and I'm ready to actually, you know, I was ready to tackle an another novel. Gotcha. Awesome. And and so you move from that into drafting and writing Frostbite, correct? That's right. Yeah. How, how long was that process for you? Like how long did you spend kind of working with Frostbite before you got to publication? So I actually wrote it as a novella. Mm -hmm. and finished it and it was pretty fast like probably you know three to six months maybe right and then I pitched it to the publisher Dark Matter Inc and they accepted it but said we'd like you to consider expanding this to a novel um what do you think we'll take it either way but what do you think about expanding it so I said yes and then there was about another you know six months of okay, now I need to replot this and figure out how it's going to work as a novel and increase the scale and all of that stuff um, before it was actually done into a novel draft. So oh, kind of a couple iterations, but. Yes, yeah, so that's fascinating. So it started it as a novella um, and like, oh, so now I got to ask a, a nerd writer question. Sorry guys, if you're not into this, but <laughs> how much did your word count grow? Did you start like around 20,000 and you ended up at, yeah, it was probably just over 20, that maybe like 23 or something. And now it's over 80. There you go. Mm -hmm. awesome. So um, you might find this interesting. We talked briefly offline about there's an Air Force base by where I grew up. The original climax of the novella was at the Grand Forks Air Force Base. 
Ah. Which completely changed. It did not make it into the book. It wasn't large enough in scale to be the climax of the book. So, um, yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> See that little insider not See, look, man, I had no idea. <laughs> Very cool. And I, I, I ask about the word count for for a couple of reasons. One, for those that are are writing and inspired by your story to write and continue writing and pitching and all the things, um, you know, it, it, just because we plan on something to be one way and we write to a certain target or we end up around a certain um, certain piece of work, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's that's a done deal yet, right? And when when you talk about like going from a novella to a novel, that can mean several different things. I mean, basically, it could be anything north of fifty thousand words. Yes. So it could be triple, quadruple, you know, whatever. Um, and so you ended up with about four times the book. That's quite a bit of, that's, that's quite true. a bit of growth. Yeah. It was pretty, I would say it was easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> but I think it was partially because I had already kind of like built a whole town, a whole fake town. And the characters stayed the same for the most part. I added a few people. But that helped a lot to have a kind of framework right. to start from. So it was it, frankly easier than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> well, so that's cool. So, I mean, then how long did it take for me to, for you to go from novel to, or novella to novel? I think it was probably about six months. Okay. And then obviously there was, you know, beta reading and developmental edits and some right. revision, but um, yeah, I think it was probably another six months to expand it. Very cool. Um, okay, so I mean, hey, look, I think the cat's out of the bag at this point. We got to ask you to explain a little bit okay. about the plot in the book because we've <laughs> talked about its structure and how it kind of got to where it is. But um, can you tell us a little bit about the story? Of course, we don't want to give away any huge spoilers, guys, because you, you may not it. have picked this thing up yet. It's still very new. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, talk to me about the town of Demise, North Dakota. Yeah. So, um, so as I mentioned, it's a fake town. Um, so, you know, it's one of those things you do to protect yourself. This is not based on real places or people it's inspired by though, <laughs> real places that I know from North Dakota. Um, so it's a small town in North Dakota. Um, and Raylene, our main character lives in a trailer park on the edge of town. And one night she sees a meteor hit behind her trailer. And what happens is that meteor contains alien worms, which infest the hibernating prairie dogs and turn them into vicious creatures whose bite steals your memories, basically. Oh. Um, and Raylene and her best friend have to basically find a way to save their town. The town ends up being under like a military quarantine and nobody else really has figured out what's causing this or what's happening. And they're, the only ones that can save the town, but they have to do that while dealing with their own personal issues, including Raylene caring for her mother who has dementia. And also they're fighting off a doomsday cult because uh, reference to me, including cults and everything. There is a, basically a doomsday cult in this <laughs> that thinks the meteor landing is a sign of the apocalypse, which they want to bring along. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Where did you get the name Raylene from? Actually, that is based on a friend, but okay. I have her permission. <laughs> she was my best friend growing up in the trailer park. So she lived down the street from me. Um, and the character of Raylene isn't really like her, but I kind of use that name as an homage. 
um, to her being my childhood friend. I always thought it was a cool name. Yeah, that is cool. It was very original. That's why I was curious. I don't <laughs> normally ask about character names, but um, that was the first time I'd, I'd read that name. Very cool. Great. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just, you know, because we, we all kind of grew up in our little bubbles. So it just wasn't in my bubble. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. It's that you were able to, to kind of pull your best friend into the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> did did uh, Raylene become partial to how you were treating the character after that? Not yet. She hasn't actually read the book yet. We sort of we sort of have grown apart. We were childhood friends, but now we all kind of go our own way, right? Um, and I still owe her a copy of the book, so I have it on my list to mail one out to her actually this week. So then we'll see what she thinks. I guess hopefully she's cool with what I did. <laughs> I'm sure she'll love it. Um, so where did you get the inspiration for this idea? Like, what what inspired you to whip this up? Because you've got a couple like things in there that. You yeah, know, we've got things coming from outer space. We've got uh, infestations of like ground animals. We've got cultists. We've got all kinds of crazy stuff. Where did this Where did this come from? Well, it started as just the idea that I wanted to write something that was on Earth science fiction. So I don't typically write a lot of science fiction. Um, it's just not my strength. Um, but I, when I do write things, I want them to be like near future on Earth. You know, I don't do stuff with ships or planets or anything like that. So that's kind of where I started from was what would that look like for me Hmm. if I were to do kind of a science fiction story? And I've always loved movies like Slither, you know, um, Critters. Those were kind of like the inspiration in my mind of what what does it look like for me to tell a story like this? Um, which is kind of how it became horror comedy as well, because you can't really infect prairie dogs without it being a little bit silly. <laughs> yeah. I, You've got these like, tiny vicious creatures running around, but they're so cute. <laughs> That's good. So. <laughs> so, so you pitch this to, you pitch this wild story to uh, dark matter Inc. And they're like, yes, let's roll with this. Yeah. You go from novella to novel <laughs> And you sit back and go, I've got to get like a really cool cover for this story um, at some point in your process. Was Tell me a bit about the cover because I really like your your cover. It screams YA, by the way. Like to me, yeah. when I saw this, I thought, oh, this is going to be perfect for my for my daughter, right? She'll, she'll probably yeah. really dig this. Um, not that you intended to, to send that kind of message, but you really did pull a lot of that like strong 90s nostalgia in. Yeah appeal to a young reader, but also appeal to people that would have been young readers during that time period. Yeah. Um, so I think you, you, you like really nailed uh, the cover on this one. Um, tell me a bit about your, your cover art process. So I agree, by the way, the pu- cover is perfect, better than I ever could have imagined in my mind. And essentially the publisher picked out a bunch of artists and sent them to me to say, what do you think? Whose art do you like? the best and what would be the best fit. And we ended up deciding on Eric Habeller who did the cover. Um, and he's done some work for Disney and has a very like bold color palette mm-hmm. and style. And essentially what we told him is that we wanted it to look like an Amblin entertainment movie poster. So right. that was the idea is that it should look like a movie poster, you know, like adventures in babysitting or Indiana Jones or Goonies. Yeah those kind of things. That's the inspiration we gave him. And I think he just nailed it. So yeah. it was a really fun process to work with him. He's great. 
That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, he he knocked it out of the park. I mean, that really is uh, exactly what that is. I mean, you you brought the you brought that '90s kind of '80s uh, sci-fi movie poster flare in. Um, I love that. I love that. That was the inspiration for it. And yeah, dude, you nailed it. If you're listening to this, <laughs> he he did a great job on this cover. It really does pop. I mean, the color is fantastic. The way he's got everything laid out is is definitely right down the line for that nostalgic kind of movie poster look. And I'm just noticing now that the crater in the cover is the crater from, from this event, this astronomical event. That's right. There's some little kind of little tiny Easter eggs in there that before you read the book, you won't know what they are, but after you read it, you'll pick up on some things that he sort of put in, which is very cool. Um, So yeah, it just turned out really great. Super cool. All right. So, so, so tell me what you like. You, you've had the book out now for it's been what three weeks as of this About recording? Two, two weeks, I think. Two, two mm-hmm. weeks. Okay. Um, from what I've seen, you've had great like response. It seems like uh, you've, you've had a ton of support. Everyone's enjoying it. That's, that's uh, interacting with you on socials. You're obviously ecstatic about talking about it. You seem very happy with what's what the experience you've had with the book. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about what this last two weeks has been like for you. It's kind of surreal, which I'm sure a lot of authors feel that way, mm-hmm. putting your first novel out. It's just a re- weird experience, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> but it it's been true. incredible. You are exactly right that I have had a ton of support from people in the horror community. I've had, you know, my publisher is, is amazing. Um, I had ARC readers who really were incredible and helped me promote the book in advance and get advanced reviews. So it's just been awesome. Uh, It's been an awesome experience. And the other thing that I've learned a lot about is marketing. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, um, I did a lot kind of going up to the release of trying to figure out what worked and playing with a lot of graphics and videos and swag and all kinds of stuff to see what it would appeal to people. Hmm. Um, So I think that's the other nice part now that it's out is I feel like a lot of that worked, (laughs) which feels good because you spend a lot of time on that and you're not really sure if you're wasting your time uh, or what. So, uh, or if you're posting too much, are people getting sick of you? That kind of thing. (laughs) So in, in retrospect, I feel like, it feels like I was doing the right things and that it paid off, which is a relief. <laughs> I'm going to say something that hopefully, hopefully I don't get lambasted for this um, because I learned book marketing from a, from a book marketing pro on the nonfiction side. And she's like, she has a, a honoré quarter as my mentor uh, in, in all things book business. And she told me something very early in my writing learning experiences with with the marketing side of this that stuck with me and I've used it in my business I've used it in my books and I've repeated it and in, in my nonfiction that I've published um, but she says that um, a book in motion is money in motion yeah. a book at rest is money at rest so like if you're not promoting your book no one's promoting your book no and it, you have to you have to get out there and move that thing um, and it's just about circulation. And I, and this is the part I was going to say, I hope I don't get lambasted about this. My, when I think about marketing a book, I set the standard at, at Clay Chapman. 
Yeah. Because he is so damn active and good. Agreed. Yes. At what he's doing. And I'm like, man, the second I'm like, gosh, I, I need to do this or do that. I think, yeah, Clay's two steps ahead of me right now. Mm-hmm. You're exactly <laughs> right. Yeah. Should we all get to that point? <laughs> yes. So Clay, if you're listening, and I and I hope that one day you will be, because um, we've t- we've talked a, a bunch, and he's he's from not too far from where I'm I'm living right now. Oh. So we've had some conversations about um, about the Richmond area where he grew up. Um, that's where my wife grew up, like right down the road from him. Cool. And uh, and and so if you're listening to this, Clay, uh, you can you can you can consider yourself the gold standard for for my marketing perception right now for all things fiction. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I endorse that as well. <laughs> you endorse that as well. And you had some fantastic editorial reviews. I mean, the names on here, Gwendolyn Kist, uh, we've got Brian McCauley. You had, um, I'm looking through here because I know you had Alex Ebenstein. Alex is a great, he was our very first episode. I on know, that was a great episode. Yeah, Haley Piper, Max Booth. I mean, you've had you've had some really uh, great feedback from some really well-respected Yeah people in the genre. So I think that's got, that's gotta be a pretty cool experience for your, your debut it's to get so such a cool. warm welcome. It helps you feel a little more legitimate, you know? Yeah. And also, frankly, they didn't have to do that. So I just give them a ton of credit for being the kind of people in the community that are willing to spend their time, which is, they don't have a lot of, <laughs> to right. support someone new because you asked, you know, I mean, that's just a generosity that I think is incredible. Um, and part of what defines a lot of the community, which is so great. Yeah. I've, I've found the same. I mean, I was a little nervous about coming into the horror fiction community from the nonfiction side, just because, um, it was a new, a new room to walk into and I wasn't sure, uh, how welcoming it would be. I wasn't sure. And and this is going to sound kind of crazy, but my test of this was StokerCon. Yeah. So I wasn't like very active on socials and things before StokerCon. I was just about getting getting active on socials with the community. But I was almost watching from a bit of a safe distance. Um, and then I was talking to my my buddy, uh, Zach Bohannon. And he said, hey, you should really go to StokerCon. And this was the 23. And I said, um, yeah, I think, I think I might. He's like, I think you should go. And so I said, well, if you're going to be there, I'll meet up with you. And we went and I literally walked into the hotel the night of the kickoff, not knowing anyone else there, but, but Zach and maybe two other people and just kind of took a spot at the bar, got a beer, ate some dinner and kept to myself and just watched people because I wasn't sure how much like I was going to see people inter- interacting. And, and I'm like, oh man, everyone here acts like they've known each other forever. Like, this is great. It looks like this is going to be a little bit more welcoming than I maybe initially anticipated. And then by the end of the weekend, I was like, Oh yeah, I feel completely comfortable. Everything's totally. great. Yeah. My first year going was 22 and mm-hmm. it was, it was here in Denver. So it was perfect. Um, yeah. A little more low risk, you know? Yeah. And uh, I felt the same way, you know, nervous, didn't know a lot of people. I had one good friend <laughs> and we were like, let's watch out for each other and mm-hmm. make sure we have someone to eat with. And, you know, just in case, but I, you know, I left that weekend having many more friends than I started with and feeling really like I was in the right place. Incredible. So, the, hey, big shout out to StokerCon for allowing That's right. people to get <laughs> get their feet planted a little bit. Um, and you and I were both talking. We're going to be at StokerCon 24 in San Diego. Yeah. Um, so first drinks on me. <laughs> oh, great. Second drinks on me. <laughs> okay. And uh, 
yeah, I'm really looking forward to to that trip because uh, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun going to San Diego and, and knowing many more people this year than I knew last year. And um, if anything, I'll just be able to connect with some of the people that we've had on the show that haven't actually been able to meet face to face yet, which is going to be awesome. I, know. I love seeing like podcast friends and social media friends in person. It's incredible. It's like you've done all this work to develop your relationship <laughs> before you ever actually get to meet. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's just a powerful, uh, powerful thing. Well, I, I hope this is resonating with people that are maybe um, stepping into the community or maybe new to writing in this genre because I had been writing in horror for years and years and years, but I didn't publish anything. I had kept everything under wraps. I hadn't interacted with the community. I just kind of was in my own little bubble. Um, and I hope that that people that are maybe in similar situations to, to the one you and I were in, um, even though they were different, um, we both kind of walked into the same kind of uh, experience there and, and and got to know people that way. So dude, just get out there and do it. Get to meet people. And if anything, you can just reach out to Angela and I. We'll, we'll say. That's hey, right. <laughs> if you don't have anyone to talk to, I'm very friendly and I will be your friend at StokerCon. So you just find me. <laughs> That's right. The cheerful goth. You can't miss her. That's right. <laughs> um, so with the, with the book being so new, uh, do you have like any up and coming or up and coming? Do you have any up coming um events and promotions for the book are you are you i mean i know it's kind of a unique time of year for for a launch yeah i do so i already had kind of a launch party mm-hmm. which was cool it already happened so it's not like people can go but right. i'm super proud of the fact that i had a signature beer so i always want to mention it <laughs> um we have a local brewery who was super nice. I reached out to them. They're called Snowbank Brewing. So if anybody has a chance to support them, they're wonderful. Um, they brewed a custom frost beer for the book launch. So that was super fun. Um, and then upcoming, I have a s- couple signings at local Barnes and Nobles on the October 29th and November 25th. And then I also have an event at a bookstore here in Colorado called The Tattered Cover. Nice. And that'll be on Friday November 3rd. And that'll be more of a interview with another author and more of a traditional, you know, author event at the tattered cover. So. Excellent. Excellent. Um, well you guys go out there and, and support, uh, Angela, if you're in the area there and, um, get to know her, you can meet her before StokerCon. That's pretty cool. That's right. (laughs) And then you'll know Um, someone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so can I ask you about dead spot? Yeah, of course. Okay. And I figured it was safe cause it's on your website. So, yeah. um, dead spot and, um, chopping spree. So you've got both of these listed as 2024 releases. Um, dead spot is the stories of lost girls, a sweet, but heart wrenching horror collection about women and girls trapped in circumstance, manipulation and obsession. So is this a, is this an anthology that you're a part of? It's a collection, so it'll be my first standalone short story collection that's all my stories. Okay. And I would say about, oh, maybe 40% of them are, well, maybe 50% of them are previously published and 50% of them are new. Um, That comes out the 1st of May, Mm -hmm. 2024, so I'm super excited. It'll be my first collection. Um, Nice. So that's great. And then um, Chopping Spree is a previous novella. It was my first novella I ever wrote. And um, I love nostalgia. <laughs> it's kind of more 80s nostalgic. 
and it takes place in a mall. It's basically a mall slasher with kids trapped in the mall running from a um, killer. And but there's more to the story, and there's uh, there might be a cult in that one too. <laughs> um, but that one was originally released through Unnerving, and um, Dark Matter approached me about doing a re-release. So we're going to re-release it with previously deleted scenes. It's going to be expanded and with a new cover. Hmm. So that'll come out in 2024. I'm not sure the date yet. And then it's actually also going to be released in Spanish. So. Dimensiones Occultis picked it up. Um, so it'll be coming out in Spanish in 2024 as well, which is super exciting. Excellent. Good for you. Um, Thanks. That's just really cool for your readers because they're they're going to have some some new stuff to pick up. And um, you've got me really uh, wondering about the dead spot. So if, if, if this is a, you said 40% of the, of the collection is previously released. And that means the other 60% ish is newer. Like you, you yeah. haven't released it at all. Is it stuff you've written over the years or is it stuff that you just wrote? Yeah. The stuff I've written over the years okay. that just kind of fit the theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, some very new stuff written specifically for the collection, other stuff that I just never found a place for. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see what people think. It's going to be a wide variety of kind of types of stories, you know, paranormal or not, psychological, ghosts, all kinds of stuff. Um, so hopefully people like it. But it is kind of sweet but sad. So if people read Frostbite, just know it's not the same. <laughs> There's no comedy in this one? Much. There's a little bit of, you know, a little bit of kind of a laugh that runs through a lot of what I write, but it's definitely not comedic. It's, it's a little more sad vibe. So. <laughs> well, and so what, what inspired that continuity of theme through those, all those short pieces of work? I mean, obviously if you're going back to those themes over and over again in that, in that type of, uh, in that type of writing, then there's, there's something, there's some type of continuity there that keeps bringing you back. Right. What, what inspires yeah. that? And I don't know that I knew that until I looked backward, right? Mm-hmm. We don't always know what we're doing or right. what we're drawn to. Um, but I just kept writing stories that were about women or girls sort of lost in some way, whether mm-hmm. it be because they lost loved ones or they lost the world. You know, it's like a post-apocalyptic world, whatever it is, Um I think it probably it just stems from my experience being a woman in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing that it can be hard sometimes. And no matter how much you fight against it, um, you can sometimes become the victim of circumstances out of your control or sure. sometimes in your control. And maybe you make bad decisions or something. But um, that's probably where it stems from. Um, and... Yeah. So I think I just looked back and was like, yeah, these stories all kind of go together. They're girls and women lost in different ways for different reasons, different reasons. Excellent. That'll be May 1st. So you guys got to check that out. Um, are you, this is probably way earlier for me to ask this. They're going to do a pre-order on those. Yeah, we should be doing a pre-order. Mm-hmm. So it'll probably come out. Yeah. I would think like three months before or something roughly right. a couple months before. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, so keep your eyes peeled right around February, guys, uh, for pre-orders uh, for the Dead Spot Stories of Lost Girls. I'm really excited about that. That that one's going to be really good. I mean, I hate to sound so dark, but those fall kind of 
a little bit more like on my side of the of the yeah. reading um, spectrum and the stuff I'm writing. Um, I, I have no doubt that I could have fun writing almost any subgenre of horror. I just love all of it so much. Um, but there's just something about the deep pulling themes mm-hmm. that just keep dragging me under. Um, and I love being able to read um, the same from others. So I appreciate you putting that collection out and um, I'm going to probably have to have it. Can I, can my, can my 13 year old daughter read it? <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll have to look back at the stories and make sure. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I usually say like 15 and up because yeah. I don't do extreme or splatter or any of that is not really my style. So most of the time 15 and up is plenty safe. And I do write a lot of young adult short stories um, because where the protagonists are teens Mm-hmm. Um, so I bet a lot of it would actually be just fine for her. There might she's just a, be a few. I'd be like, maybe just wait like a couple years. <laughs> she's a huge horror fan. And like, great. I mean, she watched, you know, she loves scream and she loves all the, uh, I made her watch pet cemetery, the original pet cemetery movie with me last week. And she was like, gosh, that wasn't really scary. It was just sad. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so sad. <laughs> I said, yeah, but that's the, that's the fear, kid. <laughs> yeah. That's like, what if this happened to you? Some You lose someone you really care about. What lengths are you willing to go to? Right. That's right. <laughs> so, so what inspired Chopping Spree? I mean, was it just a fun idea that popped up and you're like, oh, this would be cool? Yeah. Basically, I've always kind of wanted to write a slasher. I really love slashers, mm-hmm. um, but wanted to put my own twist on it. And uh, also, I'm just a growing up in the time I did, like I am a mall girl. <laughs> you know, I was one of those girls when I did leave the house, uh, when I was more in my like teens, um, that hung out at the mall with my friends. That was what we did. Um, so I think it just kind of made sense for me to do something that would take place in a place like that. It just resonates with me. Um, and it was fun. I love a good kids getting chased around by a killer in a trap and they're trapped somewhere. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that setting really works, but nice. Plus I nice. got to thread in some eighties music. Some of my favorite eighties music. I love putting music into books to set a time and place for nostalgia. Um, and I did that with chopping spree has its own playlist. And so does frostbite. You, you are a mind reader. Literally the next question I was going <laughs> to yeah. ask you was, was there music that inspired each of these? But like, so yeah. with, with, Chopping Spree, is it set? Okay, so that one's an 80s slasher novella. So yeah. what were kind of the, what are the, some of the songs that you have in that? Referential, it's more of, um, it's more 80s retro. So it's okay. like, um, they build this mall that's an homage to the 80s time. Uh, gotcha. Time of great malls, kind of time of like Mall of America, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it takes place in present time, but all the music they play in the mall over the speakers is 80s music. And so that gave me the opportunity to put together a playlist of songs I really liked. (laughs) So what's on the playlist? Can you, I I know I'm asking you like off, like off the top of your head. Uh, Let's see if I can remember. There's definitely Susie and the Banshees at the end. (laughs) And there's um, somebody's watching me when they're kind of running from the killer. There's also killing moon because the killer wears a wolf mask. And nice. so you got to put like a moon reference. So yeah, I, I really like the music in there. So hopefully other people will too. <laughs> nice. Well, did you, did you find music to be a primary inspiration for frostbite? I mean, did you have 
Like when you sit down to write, are you listening to music when you write? Like I have to listen to music when I write. Some people hate it. Yeah. I need music. Yeah. I always need sound, um, some kind of sound distraction, you know, to put me in the mood. And depending on what I'm writing, I do listen to a lot of 80s music, a lot of 90s music, or sometimes like with sadder stuff, more ambient music, you know, that fits the tone. But yes, I'm all pretty much always listening to something and um, kind of using it for inspiration or just to get into the vibe of what I'm trying to write. So yeah, I definitely did that with Frostbite too. Um, and I think as far as using the music in the book, because it's set in the 90s, it's a good, it was a good way for me to just establish the time and place mm. and try to communicate what it was like to live during that time. Kind of like we were talking about uh, offline, I think it was, um, music was super important at that time period. We didn't have as many options. Right. Um, and for me, music really was like it is connected with my memories. Um, so when I think back to that time, I often will think of songs I was listening to and that will anchor me in the place. So I kind of wanted to do the same thing with the book. Excellent. Uh, did you, did you, did you fall into the same trap I do where it's like, I have the same one, like I'll have like a handful of songs that just keep pulling me right back into the story and so I like have to put that song on while I'm writing a certain scene or did yes. you experience that with frostbite? For sure. This might be nerdy. Okay. So I made a Spotify playlist more for readers, right? Mm -hmm. If you want to go check out the Spotify playlist, you can listen to it. Um, but also I made my own like app playlist on my phone for myself. So I put that on while I'm writing or revising the book, you know, because it just, takes me there and I think um also gives a certain vibe of certain scenes so for example there's like a big action scene where sabotage is playing by the beastie boys yeah <laughs> and you just all you have to do is put that on to really get a feeling of what's happening you know yes <laughs> I love I love this conversation I had I had uh, someone ask me, well, you always ask your guests about the music that you were listening to in your writing. Uh, what were you listening to when you wrote the end of Bury the Child? And I said, honestly, you're not going to know who it was. But I, I told them it was Leprous. They have a song called The Sky is Red. And I said, if you go listen to that chapter while you list, if you read that chapter while listening to that song, you're going to be in a different place than you probably would be if you didn't. Because it's probably not the sound, the song that most people would associate with the feel of that end of that chapter, but it's just got this ominous, crazy sound to it. I'm gonna totally go listen to that. I've it's heard of Leprous, but I don't know that song. So okay, yeah, it's called "The Sky Is Red," and it's uh, it's a it's it's a very I mean it's a it's a it's a very emotional song, and it's it's got a lot of build and it's got a lot of crazy kind of rhythm to it. It's not a heavy song, but it's a deep song. And um, yeah, so that was uh, my editor was actually shocked when I told him that he's like, you like leprous? I said, I love leprous. He goes, Oh dude, me too. I said, dude, I wrote the whole last chapter of that book to the sky's red. He goes, no way. Like he, like, he was freaking out. He's like, I wish I had known that I would have edited it to that song. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So that's taken the whole nerd factor totally. one step probably I too far. I love it. 
Yes. And I love, um, I love personally having those kind of insights about writers as well. So, you know, to know that I haven't gotten a chance to read your book yet, but it's on my TBR. I totally want now that makes me really interested to read that scene and listen to that song. Like, I just love it. (laughs) You got it. So now, now when eventually when it comes off the list and you, and you get around to it, uh, we're going to have to exchange a quick little note about, how you like listening to that song at the end. It might you ruin it. it for you. <laughs> I, don't know. I won't be able to listen to it again without thinking of it is what you're telling to me. Okay. Maybe. <laughs> and and the other thing is it's not like written to sync to it. You know, I think, uh, I think, I think uh, the, you know, it just was one of those things where it was just on, on, on. I just had to keep going back to it. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote the last four chapters of the book in one sitting in one day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I just couldn't stop. I was just like in it. Um, and so that song was kind of prevalent. I think I finished, I think I finished writing it about one thirty in the morning and my daughter wow. came down and I handed it to her and said, read, read the last four chapters of this book. So my 13 year old daughter, my 12 year old daughter, sorry, was the, was the first person to read wow. the ending of the book. And she was like, man, this is crazy. And I was like, all right, now do it with uh, leprous. <laughs> <laughs> How's that make you feel? She's like, I don't want to hear this. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I could, anyway. I'm picturing you being in this like fugue state, just writing with this music on repeat. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably not, it's probably not as cool uh, <laughs> as, as it sounds. I'm standing in front of my my little MacBook in my you know kitchen. <laughs> I literally was writing on my kitchen island. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just where I was. Um, but anyways, so so you've got this great kind of nostalgic uh, tone to all of your fiction that's currently broadcast with the exception of, of the dead spot. I, I'm assuming. Um, although I wouldn't be surprised. There's a little bit of that in there. Um, but how do you feel about this thread running through your fiction right now? I mean, like you're going to have a really cool kind of foundation built on on this type of feel in your fiction. I know some authors that are afraid to invest in more than one project with a particular feel because they're they're terrified they won't be able to get away from that or that people will be upset with them for exploring mm-hmm. later. And I'm always like, nah, you, you can't control you know what you're motivated to write and and you should you should feel comfortable writing about what you want to write about. But I also, as a writer, understand that I have a group of people that are really like certain things and it's okay to keep giving that to them as well. So have you considered that in your kind of writing style moving forward or are you just having too much fun to care? Well, probably a little both. I mean, I definitely have considered a little bit related to readers of Frostbite versus when I put the dead spot out, which is why I mentioned they're different, right? Um, There's just a different vibe. Sure. Um, but also, yeah, I'm kind of just having fun with it. Uh, so I think that is truly as my writing journey has gone along, as I've accepted that I love to write young adult, which doesn't always have like a great rep. Um, I've accepted I love to write horror. Again, not everyone has a lot of respect for horror. And I like to write fun things that are nostalgic. Like I'm at the point where I just want to embrace it. <laughs> like I'm having fun doing it. Hopefully that means other people will have fun reading it and get out, get something out of it. And I think honestly that for me, writing with nostalgia is perfect because it's like this veil um, where 
you know, things seem so fun and shiny on the surface. Mm. Like that's kind of what I love about the eighties and nineties is it exactly mirrored my experiences growing up. Right. You have all these like neon colors and fun poppy music and new candies. And, Oh, is that a new flavor of pop tart? Like (laughs) everything is so, you know, kind of funny and shiny, but below the surface, as is true always, there's like always dark things happening Mm -hmm. that are hidden. And so that perfectly captures the vibe of what I'm going for is like a fun environment you can enjoy. Oh, but wait, (laughs) we snuck some real stuff in there that is kind of painful. (laughs) And isn't that like what life is like? At least that's what it was for me in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, Uh, You can have both, which I think is the fun part about nostalgia, really. Excellent. I love that. Um, Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot uh, and ask you, who are you currently reading? Who do you want other people to be aware of? Like, what is really grabbing you right now in the fiction space or nonfiction um, that you really feel uh, other people should be should be uh, maybe maybe enjoying just as much as you are? So I've talked a couple times about young adult and um, I think I hope people I know there's a segment of adults that don't care. They read young adult and they have no shame, but I think more people should read it. It's super entertaining. And um, I think those kind of genre distinctions aren't always like relevant, right? Read a story that you like and that's fun. So a couple things I've enjoyed lately that are in the young adult space are you're not supposed to die tonight. Mm. um which is about a terror camp so you know like um like a summer camp but you pay to go there and be chased by a serial killer essentially and those exist in real life i think i've read some things about them but the author basically sets it up there's a bunch of teens working at this camp and of course like real bad stuff starts to happen even though it's supposed to be fake so i really enjoyed that one i thought it was a great concept and it was a fun read um, and then the other one I just started that I'm really liking is called Hatchet Girls mm. by Diana Rodriguez Willock. And it's a modern day take on Lizzie Borden. So it's like, what if in the town where Lizzie Borden was, axe murders started happening again? Mm. Um, and there's kind of like some paranormal stuff involved. So both of those are great. They're super fun, um, kind of coming of age type books that I um, I have loved or am loving. Excellent. Did, did you go to the Did you go to the middle grade panel at StokerCon with Darcy Coates and Ali Malenko? Yes. And yes. I was in the same room with you. What a great panel! <laughs> yes, agreed. Agreed. And Robert Tone. I got to give Robert a. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, he's probably listening. Going, dude. I was the moderator. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a great panel. Yeah, it was really good. I did. It really opened my eyes up to middle grade and, and young adult and the mm-hmm. distinctions between. And and I, I didn't realize at the time that what I was writing could fit into those camps because it was, you know, no cussing, no sex, no drugs, no. Yep. For those that are listening to me say that and you're getting upset and you're going, oh, come on. It doesn't sound like a good time anymore. Trust me. It's still a great story. <laughs> yes, that's right. And, you know, um, I do cuss a little bit in mine, but my characters are a little older. Um but, you know, Stephen King has actually said that some of his stuff in his mind was like middle grade or young adult. He just never actually classified it at that classified it that way. Um, because if you look at the main characters and the stuff they were going through, 
it's basically coming of age stories right. with, you know, kids and teens. So there you go. <laughs> he says that we're all on it. So that's right. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, um, Angela, do you have anything you want to share with us that we haven't already covered? Is there, you know, where can people find you? How do they connect with you? Where are you keeping people up to date? What's all the things? So you mentioned my website, angelasylvain.com. Everything is on there. Um, I have a newsletter link on there if you want to hear from me very occasionally, like every couple months, if I'm up to something. I'm on pretty much every social media under Angela Sylvain. So find me. I'm, like I said, in person and on social media, I'm super approachable. So always looking to make new horror friends. Um, And then lastly, kind of what I would leave you with is uh, just a little semi-announcement not many people know about is that frostbite is actually going to be a three book series so um there will be more frost more in demise coming in probably 2025 the next book will come out so i did not know that (laughs) i love yes you heard it here first folks i don't (laughs) it's been like I've made like baby announcements about it. Honestly, the reason I haven't made a bigger deal about it is because I haven't actually written the books yet. (laughs) So the more I say it out loud, it's like, okay, well now you actually have to manifest this happening. (laughs) You're probably a little bit more responsible than I am. Cause when I was getting ready to put the novel out for my book series, I'm like, there's going to be three novels right behind it. And everyone's (laughs) like, Oh, great. And then I'm like, I got to go write those. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but maybe sometimes by saying it out loud, we're manifesting it to actually happen as well. Right. Now we are committed. Full accountability. I love That's it. Right. All right. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining me um, and for sharing your 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 upbringing, your 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 fiction, your perspectives on YA and all the things. I mean, this was really great. Um, I absolutely had a blast catching up with you, and it was so nice to talk outside of social media for the very, very first time with you. Now I know exactly who I'm hunting down at StokerCon in San Diego. So keep your eyes peeled. You better Um, do it. It was my pleasure, by the way. I really appreciate you having me on. It was so much fun. Yeah. Anytime. You're welcome back anytime. So guys go out there, connect with Angela. She's on all the, all the channels, like she said. Um, And I'm going to jump right on your email list here. As soon as we're off the line, you guys should do the same thing. (laughs) Even if it's only every couple months. I'm down for that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Thanks. <laughs> that's, that's better than every day, by the way. Um, yeah. And uh, make sure you guys go pick up a copy of Frostbite because uh, it is a really, really fun book. I'm in, I am, I haven't shared this yet. I am part of the way through the book. Okay. Yes. That's why I was like, <laughs> please don't give any spoilers because <laughs> I'm right in the middle of it. So. Um, and you guys go pick up your own copy. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get it directly from Dark Matter Inc. Um, or uh, you can uh, check out all the reviews that are flooding her account on Goodreads as we speak. Angela, thank you so much, guys. We'll see you in the next episode. And uh, yeah, keep it frosty between now and then because we got three <laughs> more books coming up. <laughs> three. <laughs>